Welcome to the Hashtag Call to Scene podcast, the show focused on the strategic disruption of the status quo in technical organizations, communities, and events. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Hashtag Call to Scene podcast. I have a very interesting and surprising guest. She came out of nowhere for me. Um, and I want her to introduce herself, and then I'm going to see if you can figure out how she's who she might be and where this story might be going. So, Rachel, could you introduce yourself to the audience? Sure. My name is Rachel Barnhart. I live in Rochester, New York, where I was born and raised. Uh, I'm a 20-year journalist here in Rochester. I ran for office, wasn't very successful, and now I use my platform to write a lot and talk about social issues. All right. So why is it important to cause a scene and how are you causing a scene? I think I've been causing a scene my whole life, uh, starting from back when I was in high school. I went to um, an urban high school, very high poverty, high needs high school, and I wrote an underground newspaper that got me suspended. And I wrote about um, the high rate of suspensions at the school and how we had a low graduation rate. Well, they didn't like that. So they suspended me. And then it made the news. And uh, I, I was brought back to school and I, I wrote another newspaper and they suspended me again. So I have a long history of causing a scene and really saying things that people don't want to hear. Uh, as a journalist, I really care about the truth uh, and I care about facts. And before the era of fake news, um, I've always found that those are things that people often don't want to hear and the messenger gets blamed. Okay, so um, we're going to talk, if you haven't put two and two together, um, we're particularly we're talking about Rochester, we're talking about a national, something that became a national news story. Um, that's how I connected to you or was connected to you. And so let's talk about, if you can give us some background on what this story was. Right. There was a, um, uh, a meteorologist at the NBC affiliate in Rochester uh, during a broadcast on a Friday evening, uh, was describing a park, and he called it Martin Luther Kuhn King Jr. Park. And this was recorded by someone, a, a viewer, who posted it on Facebook, and it went viral. And so this was a Friday. By the end of the weekend, I had seen it on Facebook. I saw it on the Facebook page of an African-American councilman. People were really upset about this, and they wanted an answer. They wanted to know what was going on. Uh, they, wanted, um, they wanted the station to address this. And um, by Monday morning, uh, well, actually, Sunday evening, the station did post something on its Facebook page saying how sorry the station was, how this was totally inappropriate, um, and um, the net, but that really wasn't enough for people. And the next morning, they fired the meteorologist. Uh, the mayor had weighed in over the weekend saying that she thought he should be fired. City council thought he should be fired. His name is Jeremy Capel. And, you know, I saw the clip. And I heard it clear as day, what he said. And I Googled the phrase. I mean, I knew it was. I've listened. I knew the word that that C word was racist, but I Googled it because, you know, I want to put it in context. 
And what I saw was that this way of referring to Martin Luther King was very common throughout the South uh, and for decades. And, and I also saw that this wasn't the first time this happened. And I knew, oh, this is bad. Uh, this, this is really bad. And, and um, uh, I knew that this community would have to grapple with what happened. What I was not expecting at all was community outrage about the firing. I was not expecting thousands and thousands of people to rally by this meteorologist's side. They said that he slipped up his words. He made a mistake. Why are we crucifying him? This is going too far. You're ruining his life. You're, he's got a family to feed. Um, I even had a text message that morning because I posted on Twitter. I said, this is bad. I mean, look, you've got to look, put this in context. This is totally inappropriate. I, I'm very concerned about what he said. I never called for him to be fired. Um, but I, I just thought, you know, this is terrible. He's got to address this. Well, I got a text message from a friend I consider to be a progressive. He's in the media. And he told me that I was sowing division and I need to be quiet. And it was just a mistake. And what do I think should have happened now? And I said, well, he's got to apologize. He's got to learn. He's got to understand what, what he did. And then I knew that something was very wrong. The community reaction to this was something was just very wrong, not among African-Americans, but among white people. I thought, what's going on here? That evening, that Monday evening, after the guy had been fired, he goes on Facebook and he gives an, this apology. It was four minutes long. Three and a half minutes were spent thanking supporters for rallying by his side. 30 seconds was spent on the apology saying, I'm sorry for what you thought you heard. And if, if anyone was offended, and I was outraged. I mean, I was outraged by that apology. It was a conditional apology. It didn't recognize the harm that it caused. And he spent all the time focusing on his supporters and the harm done to him and not the harm done to the African-American community. And I posted on Facebook my feelings about this. And uh, I said, well, you know, this looks like a hostage video. And he's sitting there with his wife. They look like they're in an undisclosed location. And poor, I, you know. And I said, he's spending the whole time talking about himself, not about the victims of this. And, and I said, I'm just, I'm disgusted by this. Wow. When I said that, now I would have worded it differently in hindsight. I would have been a little more clear and I would not have tried to make a joke. But whoa, people, um, they came for me. They, they um, hundreds of comments calling me heartless, calling me cruel, uh, saying I have no compassion. Have I never made a mistake in my life? Who do you think you are? You know, you were on TV. You should understand. And his whole life is ruined. And how could how can you do this to this man? And and essentially blaming me, blaming the mayor for what's happened to him, even though I never called for the guy to be fired. Um, and I really didn't weigh in heavily on this until I saw that apology. Um, they... Um, it it was ugly. I lost hundreds of followers over the next few days. Um, there were campaigns to to get people to block me, unfollow me. I mean, I have a very big social media presence, and radio hosts were trashing me on the air, calling me crazy, saying I was pandering to black people because I've run for office before. Um, you know, telling me to be quiet. I mean, it was ugly, and I really struggled because. You know, I'm going through this thing, right? But it's not about me. 
the Jeremy Capel people are trying to make it about me. I'm trying to make it about the African-American community and racism. And it just, it just snowballed. But that first week, you know, I said, fine, you know, whatever. We got through that first week. But then Jeremy Capel didn't shut up. He continued to make these videos and social media posts that were really disturbing. At one point, he said he was going to start a movement to fight real racism because there are so many people like him who've been victims. I mean, really? You're gonna you're a white man appointing yourself the arbiter of what is real racism? And you know, I I I, I said what I thought about that. And again, unleashed more stuff, more people unfollowed me. And and it be, and a lot of people tried to make it, well, it's Rachel Barnhart versus Jeremy Capel. And I I kept tell, reminding people, look, if you this is not an interpersonal fight. This is not two kids who can't play well in the sandbox. This is me trying to talk about racism. And this is this one guy trying to talk about me. And I kept trying to steer it back to what we need to be talking about. The last straw for me was, I woke up a couple Sundays ago and um, overnight, overnight, he had tagged me in a post saying that I was essentially ruining his life. Um, that post unleashed uh, hundreds of very misogynistic, disgusting, degrading, defaming comments about me and a lot of them in my own community. And um, I said, you know what? I've had it. Uh, if, if, if this guy is going to make me a target of harassment. And um, and people asked him to delete those comments that were so disgusting and he refused. So I said, you know, if he's going to do this and I'm going to say what's really going on. And I spent a whole morning researching the language that he was using in his videos. And I discovered that he is using the language of the alt-right. He is sounding like Steve Bannon and he's really good at it. The problem was that the media did all these stories about this guy. Oh, Jeremy Cappell was fired. The debate over his firing. It was never a debate over the harm he caused. But after he started this ridiculous real racism movement, the media dropped it. Nobody, nobody was saying anything anymore. I was literally the only person saying, this guy is a menace. And I had so many private messages from people of all races saying, thank you. This conversation is so ugly and hateful that I do not feel comfortable joining it. But thank you. And um, so I did. I wrote, a, I wrote a medium piece saying this is what's really going on here. And, um, and I've had it. Uh, we need to speak up. We need to speak out. We need to call this for what it is. And then the tide started to turn a little bit more. I think people started. I think I gave the language and voice to people who were uncomfortable with what they were seeing, but may not have been able to verbalize it. And um, I also connected with um, an anti-racism group locally, um, a pastor who um, educates people about racism, an African-American pastor. She and I connected and she really helped me with some of the language that I need to use to, to, to I don't, not to not make it about me, to continue to steer it towards the, the discussion that we need to have. And that was really how she really, Pastor Myra Brown, she really helped me um, come up, learn about what was happening and also give me some of the tools and the language that I needed to use to fight what was happening and to really educate the community about what was going on. And so it was really good to make that connection. But, you know, Jeremy Kappel met with Pastor Brown and he posted that she was overly sensitive about racism on social media. Can you imagine doing that? 
it was awful. And, and again, no media attention for that comment. And it just, so I'm just, I, you know, now a couple of weeks later, reflecting on all of this, um, I'm really sad. I'm really sad. I, I think that, um, I think that we are in a bad place when it comes to being able to talk about race. Rule number one of the alt-right is if you point out racism, you're racist. Uh, we, we are in a really bad place where people are so uncomfortable talking about race, where they're so scared of being labeled racist. They actually think that's worse than doing something racist. Um, that I think we have a, we have a long way to go. I, you know, and I hope to be part of that discussion. And, um, and I think, I think, you know, discussions like this, um, and your interest in this are important in, 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 in moving that along. Okay. So, um, <laughs> you've said a lot. I know. Um, Sorry, you didn't interrupt no, me. No, 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 <laughs> because I wanted the story. I wanted the story to be told. That's why I didn't interrupt. Yeah. The story needed to be told. Um, and I'm happy. Thank you for, for sharing it because, um, all I wanted to say when you were speaking was welcome. Welcome. Uh, welcome to our world. And um, this is what we deal with on a, on a daily basis when we're not even looking for it. So mind you, if we are out seeking um, these things. So when I, um, someone directed me to, to, um, to Jeremy um, right afterwards. Um, and I saw... Well, for, I just love how he, he so, okay, so because you said so much. So I, I wrote some notes down. So mm -hmm. truth and facts, um, what's wrong among um, white, um, he made a mistake in real racism. Those, those are some things that came out for me. And was really interesting in his, and in, in the things that, so when it first happened, people were professionals were saying people make these mistakes. And and the thing that was, um, you know, you had Al Roker, you had King's daughter, you had, um, I think it was Don. Um, Don Lemon. Yeah. Um, and I, I get their way in. I get it. Um, but this dude ends up using it to promote himself. See, this is where they didn't come back to the story. When you say something and you just, you just drop something and you. Yes. Yeah. And he also used them. It was tokenism, right? It was the my black friends. He used them to say, and none of them said right. that they absolved him. They said it was right. a mistake. And, um, you know, people made this mistake. And I, maybe someone said he shouldn't have been fired. But even if they said that, had they come back two, three weeks later, they would have seen what the issue was. And also one of my the, the thing that I said most was, fuck these people. They don't live in this community that was harmed. And that was my whole thing. I don't care about, I cannot speak for all black people. I don't do that. So I can't say what harms and what doesn't harm and how people should be and if they're too sensitive. That's not my place. If they say they're harmed, um, and that's what the, when we're talking about anti-racist work, it's about impact. If the people who have been impacted say that it's they call it racism, then that's what it damn is. It's nothing for us to damn debate. Um, and so for him to take those words, which I totally was not surprised about, and use those as if confirmation of his behavior or justification for why he shouldn't have been um, 
fired um, was one thing. And then to trot out his wife, which was the atypical white man, got the white woman behind you. And white women are the, the biggest upholders of white supremacy. You literally breed white supremacy. So um, that just doesn't do anything for me. Um, but I want to back up because the first thing I said before anybody even weighed in was, mm, welcome to our club. How many times have black people made a mistake or did not make a mistake and were blamed for things and lost their jobs? This happens every day. Well, who are you to say that you are above um, dealing with consequences to your actions? People make mistakes every day. That does not mean you're absolved from your actions. You, you apologize and, and, and try to do better, but there's still consequences. And if your employer felt that the consequence should be your firing, then that's the consequence that you should deal with. Um, and then you get on this, this, this media, it's the same thing as with the, the dude who did the, um, the Google manifesto. It's the same thing that did the guy who did, I think is one at um, Microsoft. I can't remember, another one at Microsoft or so. I, I, the, these white guys say these things. Okay. Great. I'll, I'll give you the benefit of doubt. I'll say you did make a mistake. Again, don't give a shit. I'm an educator. Students make mistakes. We correct it. There are consequences to mistake because if they're not consequences, you would do that thing again. So there are consequences that you have to live with. And so then you, you do this, oh, it's about me. It's about, oh, they're crucifying me. Oh, I'm the victim. And to say what real racism is, is insulting it is disgusting. And this is why, and I say this all the time. So my entry into any conversation about this is all whiteness is racist by design because that's how you've been educated. And it, I, uh, I personally cannot trust whiteness until whiteness has demonstrated to me through consistent behavior that it can be trusted. So with these two things, you just threw that out the water for me. And just to see the videos of the, oh, woe is me, I'm the victim. I'll, it was just really, it was really disgusting. And I wonder, no, if like a, if an Al Roker or a Don Lim just went back to see yeah. The, uh, the videos that he created when he he's now saying, especially you really brought it out in your article. Um, and he's just now, now I'm the victim, but not only am I a victim of, I'm, okay, so I'm no longer a victim of being fired unjustly. That's not why I'm a victim anymore. I'm a victim now because I am experiencing white racism. Right, right. I, well, he, he wants to start a movement and there's so many people like him and there's a fight going on. And he wants to turn back the clock. Yep. And that is, that's, that's fucking slavery. So, um, and so that's the thing that just, so all of that language is that, that, that undertones, and that's not even undertone, that's just like overt, turn back the clock. Um, And I'm seeing it today. I'm seeing it now. Well, make America great again. Well, I'm seeing it, I mean, literally today with these new Congresswomen who are, we've never had these, these, this this age group in Congress, nor have we had this diversity in Congress. And so they're, they're not speaking specifically just to black and white issues. And that's what the conversation has been. So you can discount blackness because uh, we've just been sensitive. What conversations we're having now, we have people who are of Latinx um, um, and people who are Muslim background, and they're calling out things like um, the Jewish, um, uh, pa- uh, um, the, the Palestine, um, 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 it's not a doctrine, but um, 
the Jewish the and Palestine relationship yeah. in, in the, in the yeah. organizations that that um, that um, support that. And I've been called anti-Semitic. I don't know how many times because of this. So this is what, exactly what he's doing. It is taking something. Um, and and when it's called out, instead of having a conversation about oppression and what that looks like from the perspective of the people who are in these communities, it becomes I'm a victim. Um, now I'm going to call you this thing. So instead of talking about the system of racism, w- racism and oppression, which this is, white supremacy is a system. Now you want to make it about individuals. Right. And so he made it about me, made it about himself, made it about everything except what he had to say. Um, and I think, um, I think I became a proxy, by the way, for black people. Because he, all those people making those comments to me would not would not have done that if it was a black woman saying those things because that would have been too obvious, okay? But they could unleash all of that on me, with no consequence. Well, yeah, because as a white woman, you stepped outside your bounds. You that you stepped outside the role of protecting white supremacy, and so um, and I've seen that a lot. That when white women do this, and you're the ones that need to do this. Because right. you, you are right. the ones that uphold, you are the the the, so this the, is, yeah. the ballast between the oppressed and the... But do you know how many people that by the end of this thing, do you know how many people were commenting, you're a white woman and you have no business talking about this. Who are, who are you, this privileged white woman? White people were saying this to me. Who are you, this privileged white woman, to tell me what's racism? And it was so interesting. Well, well, one part I will agree. You shouldn't be leading these conversations, right. but you should be definitely be in, in there having these conversations and challenging your other white um, peers because they're not going to listen to me. They're going to discount me as being a sensitive black person. So they're not going to listen to me. So anything I have to say um, for the majority of these, like Jeremy, he wouldn't listen to me at all. And particularly since he's that far now that we've discovered he's that far over there, I don't even engage in those individuals. Yeah. Um, for, for two reasons, they're not worth the emotional and psychological labor for that. And because I'm a black woman, I don't need that kind of target on me. So I don't engage with those individuals. Um, and I'm not here to convince or convert. I'm here to educate the ones who rec- recognize they've been complicit. But yeah, you became a lightning rod for those white people who think they're progressive. And what you were, the things you were saying called out the things that they cannot own um to say oh shit what she's saying i'm thinking what he's saying but she's calling me out and i'm not him or if yeah it's the individual level because if i'm if if i'm if if what she's saying about him is correct then that thing same thing goes back to me and it does yeah so this was like kind of a textbook case, according to um, Pastor Brown. She said throughout history that people have been using science and religion to justify racism. And those, the science was people say all the spe- speech pathologists, right, came out of the woodwork and called it a spoonerism, him making this, uh, what he said on air, called it a brain mix up or something. And then Jeremy Capel is very religious. He belongs to a church, um, a very popular church here. And, and he was always quoting scripture in defense of himself. And she said that this is just classic, what we see throughout um, history when white people are trying to justify racism. It, it's, it's, it's beyond. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it's beyond history. It is the history. Yeah. We, this country was built on an economic system that was rooted in white supremacy to justify slavery. Um, And they did that 
through Christianity and they did that through science. So that it goes back to how this country um, manifests destiny. That was religion right there. Um, um, it is our right because these people are beneath us to go all the way to the, the Pacific coast and whoever is there, we just take whatever the trail of tears, all of that. It's our right to do that. And to, and you can't be a good Christian if the Africans you brought over are human at the same level of human as you, because that does not make a good Christian. So we have to use science to say that they're not human. They're, they're parts of a person. They're not a whole person. And now we can use, again, a, this Bible thing that, again, let's talk about that. Who put the scriptures in the Bible? This thing is man-made. The Bible to justify the, um, the, um, the enslavement, the oppression, the annihilation of communities. So that's yeah. it. That and, is what our, and that is what our country is built on. And until we start yeah. looking at that honestly, we're, we're going to have a, hard, a lot of problems with, because this is not just yeah. about, because that's what I love. This, if you've not listened to the Seeing White series, I mean, Seeing White by Seen on Radio, and that's S-C-E-N-E, um, they did a series called Seeing White and they talked about the, I mean, they gave a whole historical perspective and that's where I um, learned about Dr. Ibram Candy, who wrote stamp by a stamp from the beginning. And he talks about people think the racism came first, the economics came first and you justified it with the racism, which was rooted in science and religion. Right. And so and the whole religion thing was used against me. I'm um, saying that I'm not a forgiving person. And it's like, I'm, this isn't about forgiving him for what I'm willing to forgive, but you have to demonstrate that you've learned and you understand. But the other weird thing that it started to get very weird because I, I'm Jewish and I don't know how many people know that, but I mean, there was something very odd about all these people telling me to go to church, go pick up a Bible. It started to get a little creepy, honestly. And it started to get, uh, I mean, not that I have, not that there's anything wrong with people wanting me to go to church, but in that context, in this context of using it like a weapon against me, it was starting to feel very uncomfortable, and especially in the midst of all of these threats. And it's uh, interesting yeah. how forgiveness is given or how, who is given to. Um, right. and, and that, again, it becomes, and I said, whiteness is so ignorant because, by design of its own history. It's never, it's never debated. It is the default. So it's never evaluated. White people do not look at themselves as white. They look at themselves as the default. Everyone right. else, we have had to look at, even as a Jewish person, you've had to examine your history and how that makes you feel and what does that play in your life and that, all these different things. White people don't have, particularly in, in colonized communities, do not have to do that. So when it comes to forgiving, it comes to anything that's good, they are the default. So it becomes, why won't you, why won't you forgive me? But when you look at any person who's been shot by the police or whatever, it's, they must have done something. What did they do wrong? It's always, we, we're, the benefit we're never, of the doubt. it's always given the benefit of the doubt. Yes. Always. Yes. So Jeremy Capel got the benefit of the doubt from everybody. And what shocked me about this was the fierce identification with him and his wife. There was just this fierce identification with them. Everyone just immediately had empathy for them and, and rallied around them and, and, and totally forgot or didn't care that they were victims. And, and I would write on Facebook, I would say, you know, and to a comment, I say, you know, there, there's a, there are victims 
he's not the only victim. There are other victims. Well, who are the victims? I would say African-Americans. And then people would say, well, I have a black friend who was not offended. And then I would say, but if, even if one African-American was offended, there was harm done. And, you, and, and he has to repair that harm. And he is steadfastly even refusing the first step in restorative justice is what happened. So you kind of, I don't know how you get past the what happened if you have an individual who won't admit it happened. <laughs> he won't even admit he said it. Or admits that it happens because he'll say it. Ha- I mean, he'll admit, admit that it happened, but it's not his fault. The, the- no, we heard it wrong. No, it got it got to the point where he wasn't even say admitting he said it. I mean, he he was changing his story, but now his story is he didn't even say it. What we thought we heard, we didn't hear what we. It's a big gaslighting thing. It's a huge gas. This is a huge gaslighting effort. And what um, it, what, what yeah. it reminded me of back, I remember when the second um, George Bush. I don't know which initial that one is was in office and he paraded and he he did this thing and I was younger and I knew this felt weird to me it's like when you were saying people telling you to go to church it just felt when he paraded out a white couple with two kids and and put them as this is the ideal American family and I was like that just does not I, I was really like I had conversations with people around me about that and I was younger and I was like I don't what is this this is makes this is weird. And so we continue to put that, this thing as, and so what he did with his wife, you saw it with the, 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 the governor of, um, of Virginia recently, you see it, right. you saw it with, um, Brett Kavanaugh, you see, they bring out these wives who just, just look, you know, have that look in their face. Like, why are you, why are you, why are you harming my family? I have children. Um, Well, yeah, people lose their jobs every day who have children. And mind you, this was going on also during this government shutdown. It's like, I can't, I can't empathize. I really can't. Well, speaking of that, that, you know, the, the wife and children, it's this entitlement thing. We think of the white man as the provider of the family and he's entitled to that job. Like it, a lot of people related Jeremy Capel to Brett Kavanaugh, you know, his, um, his, the, there are studies that show that men with children, wives and children get promotions before women uh, do. So there, it is there. There is a lot of sexism involved in there, and there's no question that the backlash that I received was deeply rooted in the fact that I'm a woman and I don't have children and I'm single. There's no no doubt in my mind that um, that people. You're, you're no. I'm going to go even farther. You're a white woman. Yes. Yes. Well, you're yes. a white woman who was speaking out against this white man who, uh, by default, deserved his job. Correct. And um, I would not have been given the same benefit of the doubt. You would not have been certainly not have been given the same benefit of the doubt or sympathy um, because we are seen as less than and um, and people of color certainly way more than me. But I mean, we're seen as less than and less than deserving of stuff. And um, and and that was there were so many layers to this story and so much going on. My biggest pet peeve right now is that the media never did the follow up story. Exactly. And that's my thing. That's my that, and that's when when you did that article, because I again, it was out of I'm in Atlanta. So it came it was out of my my uh, mind. Then I read the article and I was like, so this asshole is still talking. And now his whole script has flipped. Now it's like Steve Bannon stuff. Now he's like off. He is way, way out there. Now he's doing, you know, he's speaking at things. So yeah, he's- yeah. I mean, we're all snowflakes. We all, uh, we're all. He's a victim of PC culture. I mean, he knows that language and he knows it well and he speaks it well. 
and I can't and, decide. And I'm stop you because I'm going to say because he said it in the way he said it. It's not new to him. It's not like this right. happened to him and somebody say, hey, Jeremy, let me pull your coattails and tell you this stuff. This is something that he's been um, espousing behind closed doors and with friends and these beliefs. Oh, yeah. Because he he articulates this message very well. He does. And, and also, I think he was really emboldened by the support that he received. He was so emboldened by it and so angered that here's this one lady in Rochester who has this, I have my own social media platform, and, and, and she just won't co- go along with me. She won't. Why? And that was his Facebook post that I woke up to that morning. And it essentially said all these broadcasters, Al Roker, this guy, this guy, all these people support me. Why won't Rachel Barnhart support me? Why? She just doesn't have a heart. She's cruel. She doesn't have any compassion. And he, that post unleashed, I mean, it was awful. And again, I everyone, okay, even if he did position it, you against him, why does everybody, that's, that's the question I have for whiteness. Why was he the victim in this? Why mm-hmm. did people think that they, if he's, if he's the alpha, if he's the person who deserves then he should be able to take care of himself. Why do you now need to come and protect him? Why do you need to come and fight his battles? He is the person with all the... So so is it that this situation takes that away from him? But that doesn't. that's not how that happens. You don't lose privilege because it, it's like you can't... Again, whiteness does this all the time. You can't play both sides. You can't play the, the victim. Right. And this is what happens. When you look at movies, when you look at anything, whiteness is either the hero or the victim. It is never the oppressor. It is never filmed as the oppressor. And so when it's positioned that way, it does not know how to do, what to do. So it goes to what it knows. I can't be the hero in this thing, so I'm going to be the victim. But wait a minute, you are a white man and, and, and you own everything and you can say whatever you want. And so all of a sudden this thing has gotten, has, has, has eliminated that for you? Right. And most of the people who were, um, I, I think a majority, I didn't go through it and do like any data on this, but I think a majority of the people who were bashing me were women. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Of course. Of course. You they saw it with the Brett Kavanaugh. You saw it with who voted for um, our, our, the president. Yeah. You saw it. And again, white women are, and I, <laughs> I talk about this all the time. They are as oh. bad as white liberals are white women are the biggest barrier to change to any of this because they have that 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 line on their that their foot on that line they want to fight the patriarchy until it means that i have to relinquish some privilege and and some protection i'm not even sure they want to fight the patriarchy kim i mean in my experience that's the the, well, those are the extremes. I'm, I'm, I see this. I've seen a lot of women put on those those pussy those pink pussy hats, right? And then I've run for office, and then I talk to them a lot, mostly older women. And and the first question, well, you just don't have the experience, or always very gendered put downs. And I'm like, well, you just were like marching anyway. I did want you to address something that really bothered me throughout this whole thing, which is, so I have run for office before. I have not been successful. I might run for office again one day, you know. And I live in a city that's very diverse. And a district is very diverse. And a lot of white people immediately accuse me of pandering to, to get black votes. And, and they, they, they accuse me of speaking out against racism just to, I don't know, manipulate black people. And I thought that was racist in and of itself because you're commoditizing black people. And isn't fighting racism the right thing to do? Why are you assuming 
that a white person speaking out against racism has to have an ulterior motive. And why are you assuming that black votes are won that way? There was so much, uh, there was so much about that pandering accusation that really was disgusting to me. But I thought I, I, I have, I have not heard, um, just had this discussion with an African-American. It really, it just bugged me. Everyone in the hashtag called the scene community shares the same common beliefs based on a set of four specific guiding principles. One, tech is not neutral, nor is it apolitical. Two, intention without strategy is chaos. Three, lack of inclusion is a risk and increasingly a crisis management issue. And lastly, but most importantly, four, we must prioritize the most vulnerable. To find out more about the guiding principles and adding them to your Twitter profile banner, please visit hashtag causeascene.com. Um, okay, so let's have this conversation. First of all, I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna make two corrections here. I'm okay. not an African American. I'm black. Okay. Yeah, that's one. And and one of the reasons is I think it's very privileged of people in the United States to call we're the default Americans mm. when there's North Central and South America. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a, that, that right there is exclusionary. And I'm very, um, I don't, don't like that term at all because that goes again, being white man is the default. So let's go let's have this conversation particularly with me because I don't trust white people, period. I don't trust white women. Um, I can see how they can use that against you because it has been done. It is being done. Um, when politicians go to the black church, like yesterday, <laughs> you know, to before they announce whatever, they've never been in black churches before. And all of a sudden they have um, photo ops of them at, in black churches or in these black communities or in brown communities. Um, so I can see a part of that. So if you extrapolate that out, I can see that as an argument. But it takes you to extrapolate that out and, and refuse to look at everything else for that to stand up. Mm-hmm. That's the only way that argument is going to stand up if if that is the only thing that's happening. If you were doing this thing um, and he was not demonstrating the behavior that you were saying. Yeah. And also, I, I mean, any objective observer could look at what I experienced and say, uh, I was not benefiting from this at all. I mean, there was no upside here. Well, there's an upside. I get to talk to you. I think I did the right thing. I mean, there, there were upsides, but I mean, this was a lot to, this was a lot. And, um, anyway, it just, it, the, the accusation. And, 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 and um, let's be honest, since we brought it up, there are some other upsides to this. You're a white woman. You're going to be okay. Um, um, if people, if you run again and people see this, yes, they might say, Hey, she's for us, blah, blah. It's not, but that's not the intention. So I get that. And I also, my experience talking to black voters has never been that it, it, it's not like, oh, she spoke out against racism and to vote for her. I mean, that, it's, and, it's, and it's, exactly. but that, that's also about, you know, when we, we're all blacks are a group, but we're a group that, but that's how white supremacy is, though. It's, yeah. it's whites are individuals and everybody else is a group of people. Yeah. So, so yeah. we don't, we, 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 we vote as a group. We, I was looking at a, reading an article today, talked about um, there, that so many black people are Democrats. The reason so many black people are Democrats is not for the reasons that you think. Many of them would be Republicans if Republicans weren't so damn racist, because many of them, many blacks are uber religious. Right. Socially conservative. Sure. 
So, so the, the Republican Party are, are, are cutting themselves off from a whole gang of people that would vote for him, them if they were not racist. Um, so, it, so there is no one size fits all. But that's what happens when you marginalize when I'm not human, when I'm not a whole human. I don't have to get I don't have um, um, agency over my own thoughts. I don't have that's why when Jesse Jackson or um, um, Obama, everybody, whoever the black person is, because it's only one or two de facto black people at, at one time, whoever that person is, we all have to agree with them. And when we don't, there's a problem um, that that person is, uh, um, uh, is, is, you know, it's like, what do you mean? Jesse Jackson said it. And who, what the hell? That's an old black man. He ain't got shit in common with me. Um, and so that's what that, and, and again, you are absolutely right. That is racist, but it shows about white supremacy and it shows yeah. about um, how it's being used in politics. It's being used in our economy. It's been, right. it, it, it is a part of everything we do. And that's what people don't understand. Um, right. it's, it's not this fleeting um, aber, aber, um, aberration. This is yeah. our country has been built on these principles, which upholds and propagates and promotes white supremacy, meaning that, um, that anything that is not a white man is, is beneath. And so anything that we're pushing against that becomes, it's like a, 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 we all get attacked. Yes. And so the, the other thing that, um, that people were saying is if you need to stop talking about this because you're sowing division and it was almost like white people, I'm sorry about my dog here. It was almost like white people were afraid that if we keep talking about racism, there's going to be riots in the streets. Well, no, that is not, no, no, no. I'm going to stop you. Cause there is not, it was almost like, that is the fear. The fear is that these, these chickens are finally coming home to roost. And this is what I love about, I'm going to tell, I said this, uh, I'm, I love that we have the president we do. I absolutely love it because individuals who had their heads in the sand for so long and could call themselves liberals, progressive, yeah. whatever damn title they wanted to give themselves could sit on the sidelines and, and, and do absolutely nothing and think that they've done something. This president and these individuals it is what did um um uh, and Bezos has his own issues, but he says turn over the rock, turn over the log. That's what's being turned over right now. You have people who are emboldened to say things that they would never have said before because they're actually confusing. He's done his base a disservice in the fact that they have this idea that they have the same level of privilege he does and they don't. And so they're losing their jobs left and right about the things they're doing. This goes back to Jeremy. Um, yeah. And so they don't have the privilege that he, I mean, you have a whole um, task force trying to see if this man can be indicted for something. It's been right. going on for years. You don't have that anymore. And also when I talk about, again, I am not a inclusion and diversity specialist. I am a business strategist and, and increasingly companies are being forced to make a decision, public decision, whether um, they will, uh, if it's how big of a risk management issue it is to align with an employee who's drugged them into something that can right. be construed as racist or homophobic or Islamic phobic or whatever. Um, these are decisions that companies are having to make now that they've had to be, they could, um, um, sweep under the rug in the past. And you can't yeah. do that anymore um, because everybody has a mirror on you. Everybody has a camera. 
And so um, these are really these are really interesting conversations. And I can tell you, had it not been for this president, I wouldn't be able to have this podcast. I wouldn't be able to. Oh, really? This. Oh, no. Who, no, everybody was we were post-racial. Um, we were telling uh, black people, what are you talking about? Racism. We've, de- we've dealt with racism. I've heard that my whole freaking life. This president's also emboldened people, I think. Um, and, and what we saw with Jeremy Capel was this just total backlash to um, having to recognize racism exists. We're all snowflakes. We're all too PC. You're trying to control what we say, how we think. And there was just this visceral backlash from people I consider liberal Democrats, progressives, they aligned with him and they didn't under, they didn't seem to realize that they were aligning with a culture that, um, okay, I'm going to stop you there because I'm going to say you're giving them the benefit of the doubt. Okay. Um, yep. I'm going to say that what they found was they, there were similarities. They were very uncomfortable and to check and that's why I tell people this is about getting comfortable with being uncomfortable because until everyone's uncomfortable we won't move through this whiteness is used to being uncomfortable everybody has been tiptoeing around your feelings their feelings forever um can't say anything because they may uh, nope and that's not happening anymore and marginalized groups have developed resiliency that white people do not have we're this is something we're used to so you're not, they don't, that's why I have the business. I wouldn't have been able to make a business out of this had it not be for what's going on now. Because I, again, I'm only working with those people who recognize that they're complicit. And they're like, Kim, I don't know what the fuck to do. I did not recognize this. How do I fix this? I don't want to be this person. I don't want to be causing harm, but I don't know how to stop it because this is how I was trained. Everything around me yeah. says that whiteness is the thing to to aspire to be like, I mean, I think about, I have always wanted to be an entrepreneur who were, who was put in front of me to, to, to emulate Richard Branson, um, um, Elon Musk, um, Zuckerberg, all these white people who have had so much privilege and, um, have so much that they've, that I can't, I don't, I don't think you great anymore. I think if you've had my circumstances, your ass wouldn't be, but if, if you and I were actually equal, you'd be a mediocre white dude. If I had, with what I know and my resiliency and my ability to make shit happen, if I had your resources and your networks, we wouldn't be equal. And that is what the rallying cry is right now. This is what the fear is. So there is a fear that there will be an actual riot. That mm-hmm. is a fear. That is mm-hmm. a real fear. People are really thinking that um, have, and, 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 and as they should be, because you are, Mowing us, how many times do we have to see a black man asking a question us getting stopped, getting killed, or being in a mall who has the right to have a gun? He hears gunshots, he pulls out his gun, yet he's the person who's killed. On his job, he's a bouncer at a um, at a club, he gets killed. But you have mass white shooters can do what they want to and still get apprehended without incident. You are slaughtering us. And this is the stuff that's in our faces right now. And this is the stuff that whiteness can't back. You can't argue that. So they can, uh, but they can argue Jeremy. You can't argue yeah. when you see that, that, that video of somebody getting slaughtered. But you can argue Jeremy because that's like, oh my God, this is coming close. This is coming close. I, he could be, and that's the thing. He could be them. He is them. Yes. Yes. And I don't, I guess I'm really struggling with the fact that I'm really struggling with the fact that I, I was the only person in Rochester to point out his behavior. I'm struggling with that. 
Um, well, then that's something that I, I, yeah, I'm not surprised. Yeah, I'm not surprised. And, and I'm going to uh, I'm going to say something here that is probably, you know, you might not like or whatever, but you're struggling because as a white woman, this is not something you expected. Uh, yes and no. So I um, do. I'm a boat rocker. Right. So this isn't my first rodeo of saying things that bother people. But um I'm disappointed that you did not expect this, like you keep saying, yeah. people who were liberals and people who right. were progressive. See, this is what, see, this is where you realize who your friends are. You, you do. I probably did lose friends over this. I probably did. Um, I certainly lost hundreds of people who follow me on social media. Um, I, it, it just, it, it bothered me that the media bothered me. It bothered me that some local lead, our mayor spoke out good for her. Um, that was it. No, and by the way, she got pummeled. She's she's black, and she got pummeled for. Uh, and people blamed her for the fire. Oh yeah, I heard about that. That she actually they said that she called and had him fired. It's but like no was, one takes a responsibility. No, everybody else. Yeah. Everybody else is. And so they moved on from her, and then then it was me and the mayor, um, who don't get along, by the way. Um, so I, you know, it was just me and her trying to ruin this guy, and it was like. I mean, it was just crazy that that lovely Warren and I were the only two people who took a public stand and said, this is not appropriate. And and see, and, and I'm going to say I'm not surprised. And see, this is and this is where, again, the whiteness, because you, for you, it's a shock to me. Yes. I am absolutely yes. not surprised. Yes. It is the status quo. It is it is when you again with this president, you're starting to see that there are people who have beliefs that they weren't because you didn't, because whiteness was the default. They never had to define for themselves. They never had to publicly right. say things. Now things are coming out where you're having to, you're having to draw a line in the, a line in the sand. Like we've yeah. always had to. And I think there was a lot of generational stuff too. I mean, I noticed that millennials, I'm, I'm 42, I'm a Gen Xer, but there were millennials who were far more open to what I was saying than, um, than older people, older people were not having it. Um, at all. Well, um, I mean, many of them are, I mean, again, they're identifying with him and many of these individuals are now reaching retirement. Um, I mean, you look at right now, like the governor of um, uh, all these old white dudes, you've had these careers, you've been doing whatever the hell you want to, that is to them. It's like, oh shit, this could happen to me any moment. Exactly. And I think that's why so many broadcasters immediately identified with him, but I'm confident that if Don Lemon knew. Yes. That's um, what yep, it's, yep. I'm Bernie's. And by the way, he keeps trotting out Bernie's King. If he, he clearly didn't listen to the rest of what she had to say. I was about to say, cause I read the whole statement and it was not a ringing endorsement. No, it said he needs to ha make reparations. He needs to learn. He needs some understanding. He needs anti-bias training. And all he does, all he keeps saying is, well, Bernie's King says I shouldn't have been fired by reducing this to, I shouldn't have been fired. You, we are erasing the racist act. We're just erasing it. And we are erasing, erasing. But what, what he's doing is what whiteness has always done. It's taken yeah. what it wants, use it for its own narrative and discarded the rest. And so yeah. what, what he, this is a perfect case study of what it looks like for everybody yeah, else. Yeah, and the other fun, the other thing that happened too, so I mentioned the pandering, I mentioned the stop sewing division, I mentioned the, you know, just- Oh yeah, that's what I, I don't know. I wanted to get back to that because it, it, I want to say this, we're all divisive. Stop saying that. We're never going to get through this if right. we're not divisive because we need to have these conversations. I hate when people say that. Yeah, and the other thing was that um, um, 
that, well, I'm not allowed to talk about racism because in 2009, I did a story that was, Kim, it was horrible. And it was about a Popeye's running out of chicken in Rochester, New York. And all the people interviewed were were black and it became uh, a viral story. And I deeply regret that story. I've spoken about it many times publicly. I'm apologizing to you right now for that story. It was, it was not, it was a terrible story. Should not have been done. It reinforced um, a, a stereotype. And, um, and I, I have acknowledged this many times and I'm acknowledging it now. I'm not saying that because I apologize in the past, I no longer have to apologize for it. Okay. But the other thing that my detractors were doing was saying, well, you, you can't talk about this because you, that, because of that story, listen, none of us, no white person can sit here and say they have a pristine, never had a racist thought, never had anti, um, never were biased, never said or did any, none of us can do that. None of us. Okay. And, um, and I grew up in a, I went to all black schools. I mean, I, but I know that I, uh, am not perfect and I've had to learn and I've had to examine a lot of my own attitudes over time. And I think recently in particular, maybe the last five years, a lot has been in the mainstream media about to help us do that. Um, it's the black lives matter movement. I mean, a lot of, we now have a lot more tools to do that than we used to. And, and I, I appreciate that. So, but that was the other thing that a lot of people were saying, well, well, you can't talk about this because, you know, you, you, you did something in the past that, that was racist. You, you are not allowed to. And I would say, well, first of all, this isn't about me, but second of all, maybe the way I handled that is how Jeremy Capel should handle this. <laughs> maybe it's about acknowledging the harm done, talking about it, demonstrating you've learned about it and continuing to apologize when it comes up. And that we're not seeing that. But the, the, every little angle they could to silence me and discredit me, every little thing they could do. So, again, my thing is welcome to the club. Um, you know, it, it's the, you know, I, I, and this might sound harsh. I empathize, but I really don't care. No, that's fine. The, I'm not sitting yeah. here asking for sympathy. And yeah, that was, because this that is, was this is what we, and this is the thing. More white people need to feel this and experience yeah. this so that you understand this is what we go through every single day. Yeah. And, and that was the tough part, Kim, because yes, I'm experiencing this like horrible thing, but finding the language to keep trying to make it not about me or make it seem like I'm complaining about me. And, but I wanted people to understand. And that's why I put it kind of at the bottom of that article that I wrote about Jeremy being linked with sort of alt-right language. I I did want people to know, like, this actually is what the alt-right does. They target people. They, this is what they do. They defame, they mock, they harass. This is what they do. I did want people to know that, but we have to keep the center of it is racism and we have to keep it on that. So it's been sort of a balance. It's been a little high wire act. You're you're playing hot potato. You're trying to find, because this is the same work that we're being, we're, we as advocates, um, activists do, and I hate that term for myself, but is as a black woman. So my biggest audience are white people, again, who are comp- recognize they're complicit and they don't want to be. They recognize they've built organizations, communities and, and doing events that are just deeply um, exclusive, harming people. And they don't want to do that again. While I'm doing that work. I'm also doing the internalized work of dealing with white people who are doing this shit. And, and it's so it's, it's a balancing that it's really, mm-hmm. I find myself just like, sometimes I have to say, I have to go to the people who I trust because I think I'm just like going crazy sometimes. I'm like, what the, and they're like, Kim, no, what you're doing is really triggering work. You have to take a break. It's nothing wrong with you. Um, you're good. 
um, go, go soak in the tub, go get a massage, go do that thing, because it, it, it does make you think that there's a schism going on in your head. Like there is something, because you're having to, I'm having to process my own personal pain mm-hmm. and stuff that this work is triggering while also being a professional and helping these um, white individuals recognize that they've caused harm in ways that they don't even see because they've never had to examine it. So there's a lot of that. So if this is the work you're going to be continuing to do, um, just get ready for that. Um, and Yeah, I'm, commi- I'm pretty committed to it. I mean, Pastor Brown has her group. I, I'm going to be involved and um, I'm pretty committed to it. I've learned a lot. I didn't enter this no, I, I have more language now than I did a month ago. I have more tools and language now than I did a month ago. I mean, so a lot of times, you know, in your gut, oh, that's racist, but you don't, you don't maybe know why and don't know how, don't know how to describe what you're seeing. This incident helped me tremendously. Um, the people from all races on Twitter and Facebook were helping me have the tools to talk about what's happening. And I'm, I'm much better for this today than I was a month ago because I now have more tools in my arsenal to talk about it. And, uh, and, and yeah, I'm going to keep talking about it. I hope that guy goes away. Hope Mr. Capel, you know, goes, goes, hides under a rock somewhere. Of course. Hours. Um, and so that is, that is the, and the fact that you have tools that you didn't have before is something to be very happy about. Oh yeah. Um, because yeah. again, it's not in your head. Like this just feels icky. What is this? Right. Icky? What's going on now? You know exactly what that is. And that's why my default is. So I don't even want to have conversations with people because they want to now have great, like let's grade where, where are you on the spectrum? Nah, I'm not doing that. It's all white people are racist by default because that's how it was designed. The system is designed. And until you can prove otherwise, I can't trust you. And so when and I, I start problem with that, and what, when I start you, with that, yeah. then we all are on the same page. <laughs> right, but do you know how many people would have a problem? With I don't that? give it, and that, exactly, I don't, that's, I don't give a I fuck. And that's I another know. thing. That's why I could give a shit about civility because white people civility was op- is optional for them, but it is the expected managed beha- the expected behavior of marginalized groups because it makes us manage ourselves. So we spend all our time trying to figure out how we're going to say stuff. And the- when you get to just pop off of the lip, nope, gun- not going to do that. I don't care yeah. if you get offended. You don't have to follow me. Um, if you looked at my pen tweet. It says, this is not up for a debate. My timeline is not a democracy. I'm, it's states it out right there. And I like that. Gives It's given me so much freedom to say this very clearly. So I don't, when people come at me, it's like, I can just drop, I, this is what I said. I'm not repeating this. I did not misspeak. I'm very clear. This is not a debate. If you don't like what I have to say on my damn timeline, you don't have to follow me. I don't have to respond to you. I don't owe you shit. And this is where the problem is because whiteness is not used to that. It is not used to being ignored. It is not used to being dismissed. But that's what I do because I don't, I don't have to deal with you. There are enough people out here who want to do better, like you who want to learn, that I can make a great income and, and live my life the way I want to. I don't have to fight the alt-right. Let them do whatever. Because again, we all don't have to agree. Yeah. And I, um, I, one of the things that did make me really sad was, um, I did have, I did have conservative people in Rochester following me or, but I liked that. Right. Because I always felt like, okay, I'm exposing people to different points of view. We can have civil dialogue. Cause that's my expectation. We have no civil dialogue. I hit the black button, but, um, 
in this particular case, it was like, no, we, we cannot have a dialogue. We are done. And not only, not only am I going to unfollow you, I'm going to encourage everyone in Rochester to unfollow you too. I mean, there was this, like this campaign to unfollow me, which was really deny me a platform. That's what the campaign was, deny me a platform. And, you, and that's, oh, I'm glad you mentioned that because that is the, that is the ultimate. Um, so when I say that whiteness doesn't have the resiliency, what they do, they're used to having the microphone and the platform alone. And this is the first time that they don't have it alone. And so they try to shut us down because for the first time, as long as I got the internet connection and a laptop on my phone, I can say whatever the hell I want to, um, until this platform decides, um, that, that they want to, you know, somebody reports me and they want to shut me down, but I can always find a way. I don't have to be on Twitter. I can always go to something else. I can just do something independent. And so this is the thing. It it becomes a campaign. It becomes whiteness is so organized about this. And this is where people just don't get. And I keep saying, saying we need to stop saying how ignorant they are. They're ignorant. When I say ignorant, that means they don't know their own history. I make that very specific. White people don't understand because they haven't been taught the history of whiteness. Um, but they're not dumb. We always want to say act like they're from the, just from the South, which is a problem. Just from the South, they don't have their teeth. They're living in the Appalachians. And no, no, these individuals can be college educated, very, um, very um, powerful individuals. And what they're doing, they're used to doing these campaigns. They're used to doing very strategic things to shut people up, but they've been doing it behind the scenes. Now you can't do it behind the scenes. Now, if you've done something, I can go search the internet and find everything you've done and you can't hide anymore. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I, um, you know, it's funny because I was on the news for a long time and we're taught kind of when you're a reporter on TV or in the newspaper or whatever, you're taught that you're always right. And when the community has a complaint about what you do, um, they just don't understand the work. They just don't understand. Well, it took me stepping back um, to see uh, the, the racism in the media. I mean, it is. Yeah. So for example, on my medium account, um, right around Christmas, um, there had been a column locally about a judge, a black female judge who was recently appointed and she lived in the suburbs. So she had to move into the city. Okay. To, um, to, 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 to do the job. Well, you know, it's controversial, right? I mean, you know, you, you want to pick from city residents. It was controversial, but it was the mayor's choice to, to appoint her. She's very qualified, by the way. Well, the columnist wrote this thing calling her a carpetbagger and saying that he checked out her address and she drives a Hummer and neighbors didn't see the Hummer and quoted a man saying, I ain't seen no Hummer. And then had a said that she lived in an apartment on a street it's it's in a it's in a poor neighborhood, but that street is is known for having African American prominent African Americans uh, live there. Okay, and and he made this huge deal that she was running some kind of scam, some kind of fraud, because and it, the only investigation he did was well nobody saw her her Hummer there. Oh my God, I, I lost it when I read this thing. It was so grossly unfair and disgusting. There were it was filled with tropes. So I wrote this annotated version of the column. I said, this is so racist. And I wrote this annotated version of it. I put it on Medium. I actually removed it from my Facebook. Maybe this was a precursor for what was to come. I removed it from Facebook because um, people were so angry with me for saying this. I mean, so angry with me. So I said, you know, I'll just have this conversation on Twitter. Um, But 
no, like no one agreed with me. And they're like, oh, Rachel must just have be crazy today. <laughs> well, then the Capel thing, I was like, I'm not removing that from Facebook. That's staying up there. Forget it. You know, I'm just after this Melissa Barrett, Judge Barrett column, she approached me the other night. I saw her. She said thank you to me. No one else spoke out in favor of her. No one. Well, the mayor, when she, when the mayor called for Capel to be fired, she mentioned that column and said the media has a problem. And she was right. She was totally right. Um, but it took me stepping away to see that, okay, her residency was a story. It was a story. But the way he wrote that made it sound like she was unethical, running a scam, using some it used stereotypes. It was just awful. It was, I couldn't believe that was printed. And now this poor lady, she's up for uh, re-election because now she's got to be elected to the post. She was appointed. Now she's going to be re-elected. And now everybody thinks she doesn't live in the city. They think she's just run scams. It's how unfair and awful. If this and, and, and they, they made a big deal over her ties to the mayor and this assemblyman. By the way, I, I I ran against a man who's a white man who has a whole crop of little white men proteges. And everybody thinks that's normal. Nobody's pointing that out in news articles. Everyone thinks that's normal when he gets them elected to things. But but in this case, there's got to be something dirty when, when black politicians are helping each other. Exactly. It's, and when we're, see that, and that's another thing. Again, we were, never, we were never supposed to play this game, though. This game was never intended for us to play. And the right. fact that we can play it at the level that white people, this, this, we should be still slaves if, if whiteness had it was its way. So we um, should, we're, aren't supposed to be playing this game. And to play it and, be, uh, and excel at it, oh, there has to be a problem. There is something wrong. We did something. We've gained this. I mean, we see it with Serena all the time. Yeah, but what bothers me, though, Kim, is nobody sees it. I mean, it's like I'm I'm shouting in the wind. Again, you're giving the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. I disagree that no one sees it. I say no one. No one. Um, it's not convenient mm. to say anything or to call it out or to say anything again. Then I see myself in this. Mm. I, so and this is where I keep this is where I'm going to keep calling what you guys continue to give the benefit of the doubt I'm going to say yeah. nope until you yeah. prove to me the other see again you're always given the benefit of the doubt and we're not so until that changes until we're giving also the benefit of the doubt I'm going to say that I don't believe anything y'all say <laughs> until you prove otherwise so because mm-hmm. we, we, yeah. yeah. we need to balance this out because um, yeah. you can say whatever you want to. I'm going to say mm, you're a pretty intelligent person. You look you're very um, I see in other parts of your life. You're very capable. I have a problem thinking that you didn't see any of this. So, yeah, no, I'm not falling for that. Yeah. And I think that my um, I think that I got better at identifying these issues uh, pertaining to race. I mean, I've all, I mean, like I said, my whole life I've been surrounded by issues relating to race, but I got a lot better and sharper when I ran for office just by dealing with the gender stuff. So I think. And that's how women can extrapolate and change and move that to the race stuff if they want to. And see, this is is where I don't buy the ignorance shit. Because when you have, when you understand that you're out here with this pussy hat on and you know what um, uh, misogyny looks like it's only how can you not ch- shift uh, a variable in that and and understand about racism and homophobia and all these other things? Yeah. I didn't understand the misogyny stuff. I, I believe it or not, 
I mean, I had dealt with pay discrimination. I, oh gosh, my whole career was just, it was just a case study in, um, um, you know, the whole lean in thing is a travesty, right? I was leaning in, leaning out, crawling on the floor, couldn't get a raise. I mean, it was horrible anyway, but I didn't see it until I ran for office. And so my first run for office, um, my opponent, um, you know, I'm an Ivy league grad. I was an investigative reporter. I think I'm smart. You're a good communicator. You know, very, you know, I was articulate on issues and he put a website up. Well, he claims he didn't, but come on. Rachel Barnhart for prom queen. And they put a little crown on my head and they made me into somebody who just reads a teleprompter and, and you know, it's a pretty face. It was the most painful thing. Um, and, uh, and, and they sent mailers out comparing me to Donald Trump because we're both apparently on television. I mean, it was so painful. And that's when it hit me like a thunderbolt and the things people said to me adores, um, the thing, it, it just hit me like a thunderbolt that I was a little ahead of my time. Now women who've never held office are running for all kinds of things, right? Um, but it, it just hit me like a thunderbolt what was happening. And it took me a while to process it. That's the thing. It's like you, there, you recognize that there's a problem. What most people don't do is take the time to figure out what the problem is. So you might not have the language, like you said, or the understanding, but you know something's not right. So let me go talk to some other people who may be having this experience or go do some research to figure out, especially with right. now with everything that's out. I mean, I mean, there's so much free content out here for us to, to find yeah. and learn stuff. There is no excuse anymore. If it feels icky. Yeah. I mean, and only three years later from that for my first run um, now, you could never run a campaign like that against me today. I don't think you can because of Hillary. Right. I mean, I don't think you could do that today. And these were Democrats, by the way. This was a Democratic primary. These were Democrats doing this. That's why I could care less about red and blue. Right. I mean, so you you couldn't do that today because I think people are far more sensitive to it. But um, but yeah, it's it's uh I really feel like um, it really sharpened how I see media coverage of both gender and race. Just just stepping back from media, running for office, it just sharpened it. Just really sharpened it for me. And this Capel incident just drove it right home. And I learned so much over the last month. Um, and I'll still learn. I mean, I'm still committed to learning because. Um, one of the things I kept saying to all these white people who were bothering me, I kept saying, look, I'm not perfect and I'm not, I'm not an expert in any of this, but I'm just, I'm using my voice the way you're allowed to use your voice to talk about what I'm seeing. And thank you for being here talking about it with me. Um, but, uh, let's just, let's just understand that nobody, um, that I'm not an authority here, but we need, we need to have this conversation. Yeah, and that's a and and um, I'm going to ask you. Do you have some final words? One of the things I did want to say is what people have to understand: this is not a a a um, destination. This is a journey. We are trying to create an experience that was never meant to exist. I should be a slave. So that right there says so much. We're trying to com- create an experience for everyone that was never meant to exist. So what do you want to say in your final? Yeah, your- I, I just, you know, I, I've learned from you today and I just really appreciate the, the fact that you were interested in, in, in what's happened here in Rochester, New York. And um, I'm, I'm committed to learning more and doing better. And, uh, and I'm just really sad right now that, um, that a lot of people aren't willing to have this conversation. Well, um, yeah, you know, as a teacher, um, I had, I'm, I'm actually certified special needs. So 
there was a goal we had to get to at the end of the year. Everybody wasn't going to get there the same way at the same time, but we were all going to get there together. And so that's why that's what keeps me optimistic, because even the ones who don't want to um, face it, um, and you are at some point because it's coming, um, you won't have a choice. And so I would rather be proactive and, and learn and, and, and equip myself than go kicking and screaming and then have to deal with the consequences of that, because there will be more Jeremy compels because you refuse oh, yeah. to face your own issues and people are calling it out. People are not afraid to call it out anymore. Whereas before we might say, oh, you know, black people got, you know, pissed and wouldn't say anything because it would bring us physical harm, you know? So now we've, we found our communities, we found our strength together and we're calling this stuff out on a regular basis. And so my thing is either you um, want to commit yourself to everybody having a better experience or just being honest and say, all I care about is my experience and then deal with that. I mean, it is what it is. Yeah. I mean, I have a platform and I'm going to still try to use it for the people that are left. Um, I'm going to use it to um, to continue to talk about these issues when they arise and even when they don't arise, you know, um, I think. You know, I think it's and I'm really grateful to the people who do stick around, even if they don't agree with me. I'm grateful that they're at least list, they're listening. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're sticking around. A lot of them enjoy bashing me, but they're still here. And I think that's important. You know, I think that's important. At least they're still here um, because I, we, I can't have a conversation with someone who disappeared and who isn't willing to have that conversation. So I'm going to commit to keep trying. And um, but I, I'm telling you, I really hate I really hate. I really hate what I saw. And it's funny because um, I've said this privately to some people. I'll just say it to you. We had um, a Democrat who announced that he's running for county executive and he's very handsome and he's got the wife and the kids. And, you know, he should he should win. I mean, the lady we have now, she's she's not great. And, and I support him. But the first thing that went through my mind is, oh, he's going to win. And, and I was thinking about Jeremy Capel. And I was thinking about that fierce identification with the man and the kids. And um I don't know why I thought that, but when I saw him make his announcement, so he's going to win. And I thought about the weatherman and how people supported the weatherman. And I think, and I think, I think some of that is going to be why he wins. I just do. I just do. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Nice to meet you, Kim. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Hashtag Call the Scene podcast. And I'd like to thank all our current sponsors of the podcast and the hashtag Call the Scene movement. Of course, we strongly encourage everyone to become an individual sponsor of the hashtag Call the Scene community. Just visit the website at hashtag Call the Scene.com to sign up today. On behalf of everyone here at hashtag Call the Scene, we'd like to thank you again for listening to today's show and have a wonderful day. <laughs>